there. Thanks for tuning in to one of our online sermons today. My name is Brianna Grunwald, and I'm the River Kids Director here at our Burton location at the River Church. And we'd love to connect with you today. One of the ways that you can connect is by texting River Connect one word, to 970-00, or by visiting our website at theriverchurch.cc to see more about who we are, what we do, and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church, you can do so by texting that dollar amount to 84321, or by clicking the Give tab on our website. We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the message today. So, realize uh, our, our Sermon of the Mount series is almost over. I don't know if that's like, for some people, they're like, oh, we just started this. Like, yeah, in October. I was just talking to some people. I was like, it's November Thanksgivings this week. I don't know if any of you are prepping your turkey or it's at least out on the counter thawing. Mine is, because I've, I've learned some things over the years, but... Man, like, we're almost done with this series, and I, I really enjoyed the series, and if you have always that kind of that free commercial, that free push, uh, go to the River Church app, go to the River Church website, you'll be able to find eight locations worth of guys who have preached this exact topic for the last couple of months. I've had a lot of fun, but over the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed looking at Jesus through just this lens of, like, how countercultural he is. Now, not just in the countercultural, well, that's the world it's easy to look at the church. It's easy to look at stuff that Jesus did. And again, when you see like blatant sin, it's like, well, Jesus is so opposite of that. Well, yeah, of course, that's easy. Jesus was perfect. He was holy. But even to look at this countercultural aspect from like the way that Jesus tells us to respond versus that like way that we as the church, we as followers want to respond. How completely different Jesus is from me is mind boggling. Because what Jesus tells us and how Jesus tells us to respond, it's completely revolutionary. It's not just like, oh man, I was a shade off. I was just a little bit off. You're right, I shouldn't act like that, or I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't be angry, or this is the way I look at stuff when it comes to adultery, this is the way I look at it from divorce. Like The chasm between Jesus and myself is so monumental, eternally separated. I kind of woke up this morning, and I was really just on my heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisee, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I just sat on that this morning. I just kind of like woke up, and that was just on my heart. Like, man, Jesus is calling for us to like exceed this righteousness of the most righteous people. I can't do that. And I'm just really praying on it. And the two thoughts that I've just had this week, and it's really kind of culminated this day, is how well Jesus understood the sinful human condition. Like, Jesus gets it. Even when he talks about everything that we've talked about, from lust to divorce, uh, we're talking about anger, all those things. Like, Jesus knows. It's not that he doesn't get it. The book of Hebrews even says, he he came down, he, he was tempted by these things. He did not sin, but he gets it. For me, I just sat there for Jesus to still look at people and say, like, hey, you're, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you exceed the righteousness of them. Like, he knows exactly who he's talking to. He's not just, this is a great sermon point. It's going to be a bomb. This is going to be a great tweet someday. No, like, he, he's saying this because he knows that without his righteousness, we have no hope. We have no opportunity. We have, we have no way of being able to please God. So when we've looked at things over the last couple weeks from anger and lust and divorce, and like, again, we've had some sledgehammers of some topics over the last couple weeks, he knows exactly what he's saying. 
And he's not saying, hey, just try harder. No, I, I, I want you to have your hope, your trust, everything you have. I, I, I need it to be on me. But then the second thing that kind of like led me to, and I was thinking about this, how many times do we try to find a loophole in Christ's teachings? When we read about stuff like divorce, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I read what the Bible says, except for this for me. It, it's different here. You read about stuff with anger. Yeah, yeah, I understand what Jesus is saying. I know I'm murdering a guy, but you have no idea how upset I am when people cut me off. God, you just made me fiery. So I get to, I get to murder somebody in my heart when I get mad at them. When we look at oaths, uh, it's not lying. It's just, it's just they just can't handle the truth. Yes, Jesus knows the sinful condition of man. That's why he came down to seek and save that was lost. But also, how often for us do we just try to find that loophole? Yeah, I'm exceeding the righteousness of a Pharisee, except for here's the loophole that I really need right now. And I kind of started thinking about that, and that kind of like led me into this week's topic. How often are we looking for that loophole? How often are we looking for that scapegoat? Like we, We read what Jesus says, we look at the obedience of Christ, and we're like, yeah, but this is how I have to apply it, though, for my world. You don't understand, I work in the shop with the boys. Sometimes the boys get a little bit like this, and we gotta, we got to be like that. It's like, no. But you don't know what it's like. Sometimes, sometimes there's drama with women. There's a lot of emotion there, and you just got to understand, this is how we have to apply this. Instead of looking at Scripture and looking at straight down the middle and saying, this is what I need to do as a follower of Christ. So if we know that we have no hope to live for him without him being our hope, we have to look at obedience. Because it's not about just sheer force of will that we're going to be obedient. It's an overflow of our relationship with him that allows us to be obedient. So kind of the question for the day, how do you handle when you're insulted? Think about that for a minute. How do you handle when you've been insulted? Sticks and stones may break your bones. Biggest lie we've ever taught children because words hurt. I don't care what anybody ever says, words hurt. Don't teach your kids that they're just words. The words are words. You can't just look at somebody and then like say the worst things possible and be like, I'm joking. That's called gaslighting. We don't do that. But how do you handle when you're insulted? Why well, insult back? Sure. How do you handle maybe when your salt insults you by, oh, let's just throw an example, sitting on the couch all day and not actually cleaning up after they said they have? I don't know, the scariest thing in the world for a dude is when my wife will come and say, hey, Ryan, can, can you work on this? And then I, I don't do anything. Then 15 minutes later, I see her doing the thing that she just told me. Scariest moment ever. Because I was like, do I make eye contact? Do I just, I'm really zoned into football. <laughs> like, that might be my easiest way out. But think about this. Sometimes when somebody doesn't do what you ask them to, what do you do back? You don't help them next time. Oh, you're not going to clean your laundry? You're not going to put it away? I'm just going to throw it on the bed and just leave it there. Okay, good job. Here's one of my favorite ones that I was really thinking about. What do you do when a friend is late? They've insulted you by being late. They've they've not valued your time. Oh, next time we go go out to Starbucks, I'm definitely going to be 15 minutes late on them. Great job. You're solving the problems. The one that I've learned this week... Uh, because apparently my kids are the greatest way that I, I, I see that I'm in ever need of Jesus in my life. Uh, the amount of times, have you ever offered help to a young child and then they say no? And then you get frustrated when they turn around and say, I need help. 
You've insulted me by not taking my offer on the first time, young man. You do not get a second shot. This, this is a, there's null and void. You don't get another opportunity for me to help you with your cup. You get this one and only thing, but then they say no. And you watch them struggle with it, and they're like, I need help. You're like, you should have just given me that the first time. Why? They're four, they're five, they're six, they're seven, whatever it is. But it's like, I, I was insulted that you said no to me the first time. Ergo, I'm going to get frustrated at you and yell. So how do you handle when you've been insulted? Now, those are easy enough ones. But let's get kind of real. How do you feel when you're insulted because you're a follower of Christ? How do you feel when, you, when you're one of those people? Do you, you believe in the Bible? You believe that there's a sky dad up there? Uh, again, you, you believe that a guy died on a cross for your sins 2,000 years ago? You, be, you believe this book is real? You believe that you should give to a bunch of people who only care about your money? It's a little bit different then. Because I think sometimes we can get over, okay, that someone said, na 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 boo boo, they called you a name, and we can move forward. But it gets different when they start insulting your walk with Christ. So Jesus goes into this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Same pattern we've seen throughout the entire uh, section once we got into this, you shall exceed uh, the Pharisees in righteousness. We're going to go back to the law because this is what the Jewish people, this is what the original audience was taught. But then we're going to see Jesus say, but I say. So Jesus says, you've been taught this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And the Old Testament teaches this. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, it says, For I shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That's an easy one to understand. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You take my tooth, I'm taking yours. But in Leviticus chapter 24, it says this, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good. Life for life. For if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture. Oh, goodness. Some of you are like, I'm pulling out my uh, snow shovel. I'm going to make sure stuff's salted. But again, if someone trips and falls on your property and they break their foot, you have to get your foot broken. Rather extreme, but that's what the law is saying. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given, a person shall be given to him. Now, the greatest thing, this is like a universal law through, like, humanity. An eye for an eye. We've heard this. Hammurabi, the original, like, old school, if you know your history, set this into motion. This is something where God is found in truth. This is God wrote the law on Gentiles' hearts, those who are far from God. So, again, God wrote, wrote truth on everybody's heart through creation. But this idea, eye for an eye. Truth for truth. It's this idea of this law of retaliation. And on paper, eye for an eye is a great thing. And not just great because, like, yes, I get to get that person back. It's great because it limits vengeance. You only get an eye for an eye. You only get an injury for an injury. You only get a tooth for a tooth. So how it brought up that idea of, like, again, if somebody's animal gets hurt, you got to pay that, oh man, your cow fell in my hole that I've been digging a ditch for whatever reason. Don't know why you would need that big of a thing and a cow would fall in it, but here's your money. I'm sorry I killed your bovine. We're good. What eye for an eye does is it limits vengeance because you can't go, well, the cow fell in your hole and then the person comes over and beats you up. But then guess what you do? You go and you murder that person because they beat you up but then they're going to go get their crew and they're going to come back and they're going to just like wipe out your entire family. An eye for an eye. 
on paper was meant to limit vengeance. It was meant to stop it. Oh, you hurt me, oh, I get to hurt you more. You did that, well, I'm going to do more to you. Tooth for tooth, eye for eye, health for health, fracture for fracture. That's what it's meant to do. So on paper, it's not that it's just meant to be this like go around of vengeance. It's meant to limit it. Yeah, they hurt you. They stole 100 bucks for you. You, you get 100 bucks back. You don't get to just be like, oh man, that, that, my cow fell in their hole. Yeah, we get to go murder the next door neighbors and take their property. Like, no. And good Lord, if anybody would even think to do that. So again, how do you handle when you get insulted? I'll put myself out there. I'm not the nicest person when I get insulted. Because I'm going to go for the jugular. I'm going to end it on one. You want to say something about me? There is no back and forth, quipping back and forth, and let's see who's more creative. I'm just going to put you in the dirt right now. And that's horrible. That is the carnality of my heart. That is the sinful nature of me. That's why God, when he even says, eye for an eye, he's hoping to limit that vengeance. This is one of the most lawful and merciful ways to handle wronging somebody. If somebody says you're this or somebody cuts you off, you, you can't push their car into the ditch. That's not, we don't do that. But going back to, again, the heart of everything, when somebody insults you, where does your heart go? Somebody comes zooming past you, they cut you off, you're like, oh, man, I want to get right up on, that, up on them. Maybe I'll, I'll break check them if they're riding me. I'm going to go tell their manager if they messed up my coffee. So they messed up your coffee so they should lose their job. So I want to make sure we're eye for an eye. I want to make sure we're here. Your livelihood is gone because they did not give you oat milk in your latte. But these are some things that we do. These are things that we act. This is how we think about people. So eye for an eye is also meant to be settled in court. It's not meant to be something that's done in a personal manner. Well, you hurt me, you hurt me. You bring in an unbiased party to help decide whether or not there's justice. So in Deuteronomy 19, to go back to that chapter and starting in verse 15, it says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And this is good. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priest, the judge, and who are in office in those days. Again, it, it, eye for an eye, the law, it, it's meant to limit vengeance. And if you get multiple parties going before, first you're going to take it to God. And if you can lie to God, whoa. But secondly, you're going to take it in front of the priests and the scribes. Why? Because they're making sure there's justice. Now this becomes the thing. Do you believe in fairness? Most people say no. If you go to a judge, you get put before, we don't want to sit between that third person because they're buds. They're on the same, the same political side. He gives more money. They've known each other longer. So pulling in a third party, what do we naturally do? We just assume that the, the, the table is always against us. We're always ice skating uphill. We can't even look at that. But again, the carnality of our heart, the, the lack there of righteousness in us, we can't even trust bringing in a third party to resolve issues because we think that they have it against us. But what is God saying? You, you go before the Lord. 
So the Jewish nation here, again, at its core, was trying to resolve problems in the most just way. Why? Because they truly wanted to, on paper, to be able to stand in front of the Lord pure and righteous and just. They didn't want there to be any type of sin. They didn't want there to be an imbalance of scales. They wanted to be just. So in its purest form, what the Jewish people were talking was meant to be a good thing. It's meant to take care of problems. But like we said, what gets twisted? Gets twisted when you start having people who are unfair. Gets twisted when you start having judges who are like, hey, I'm going to lean this way because this guy's Richard. He's going to give me a kickback. It gets unfair when you start kind of stepping on the little guy. So this is what happened to the Jewish nation. And then what did people do? They took eye for an eye, and then they used it to start solving personal vendettas on their own. Yeah, they hurt me. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to this. I'm not even going to bring a third party in to make sure we're doing this right. I, I'm, I'm just going to handle mine. That's horrible. So I feel like this rule, though, we do, in a sense, like this eye for an eye, though. Think about that. You, you like that idea. Someone hits you, you get to hit them back. Watch children. They act in this way. Somebody scratches my car, I want my money. You start looking at these things, and you're like, man, if someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. But it becomes one of those things where we're more comforted by law, and we're less comforted by grace. Because when we start getting more comforted by law, when we start getting more comforted by eye for an eye, we're like, I like that. You become less and less comforted by grace. So for us, it puts us in a place, eye for an eye gives us a voice where if we're wronged, we know we can go handle that wrong. Yeah, they hurt me, I'm I'm, going to go hurt them back. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to ask God to take care of anything. I'm going to go do it. If we start living in this again, we're more comforted by law. We start getting more comforted by moralistic living. I'm upstanding, I'm right. How dare anything bad ever happen to me? How dare I get how dare they get the wrong coffee order? How dare they cut me off? How dare they inconvenience me? How dare they say no to my help? But you start living like you're the upright. You're the standard. For us, we start living by this. If nobody starts anything with me, there's not gonna be anything with me. Don't start no, won't be no, and I'm just good. That's horrible. Because if somebody hurts you, then your natural response is what? Vendetta? Vengeance? You're not Batman, man. You're not the Dark Knight. That's not what we do. For us, we have to take a second and look at it. As much as the law says eye for an eye, are we comforted by that? Because sometimes we like to stop reading. And when Jesus says, yeah, but it was said eye for an eye. See, Jesus said eye for an eye. I'm not going to go anywhere else. But we don't actually continue reading the rest of it. Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, but I say to you. So for some of you, how do you handle being insulted? You really like that. Yeah, eye for an eye. Let's go do eye for an eye. But now you got, but Jesus, but I say to you, because you know Jesus is about to put this entire thing on its head. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and also the other. Ooh, countercultural. Remember that chasm between Jesus and myself? How big and how wide that is? See, I love eye for an eye. Come at me, say whatever you want, insult me. Oh, let's play games. I'm better at it than you. Let's, let's go. But then I look at the sinfulness of my heart. I look at the fact that that's where I want to live, that I, I, I'm okay with hurting somebody. 
I need Jesus to be my righteousness. But when Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. We've got to jump into this real quick because you can get a really bad translation if you, you go in different ways. You can get a bad interpretation. Some people use this to say like Christian pacifism. That you should never, ever, ever resist a person, ever. So if you're being robbed, just let it happen. Christians can't be cops, can't be the armed service. If you're getting beat up, just sit there. If you're watching your kids get beat up, just sit there. Be like, excuse me, sir, can you please stop in the Lord's name? I do not believe that's what Jesus is trying to say here. So in the event that there is something, I do not believe that Jesus is saying that there cannot be any type of physical distancing or anything like that. So again, this is where we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the domestic abuse. This is not a thing. You're not beat people up. And so you, gotta, you just, you just got to sit there and do not resist the evil one. Just keep getting punched in the face. No. I do not believe that is what the Bible says. The Bible does not say anything where it is ever okay for a man or a woman, really, or anybody to ever physically assault somebody. It does not say that women are punching bags. The Bible actually says the contrary. It says, honor your wife. Live with her in an understanding way. So anybody who's going to try to use the Bible or say that the Bible is sexist or chauvinist or it condones any type of physical abuse, you don't know the Bible. And if you know anybody who says that, again, we'll have that fun conversation. Push them to me. I would love to have that conversation. Jesus is not saying, well, do not resist the, whole, resist the one who is evil. Just, just take it. Husbands, if you hear a bump in the night, you're the first one up. Why are you trying to get in my house, bud? Not dad, yeah, sure. Again, give them the TV, maybe they'll leave. Keep your family safe, but in the same right, like, I'm going to go into your kid's room. Well, Jesus says, don't resist the evil one. No, slam that dude down and get him out of your house. If you can suplex him and get it on video, send it my way, and I'd really have a fun time with that. But is there a time to have a conversation about biblical pacifism? I believe so. I do not think that that is in these verses. What I do think, though, is what Jesus says, do not resist the evil one if. He says, do not resist the, the one who is evil, but if. If, we got we to understand, there, there's a reason. Okay, so wh- when do we re- not resist the evil one? If they slap you on the right cheek, turn to him and also the other. Now, if you're like, but Brian, you just said physical assaults. You, you can defend yourself. You can walk away. You can take care of that. We got to understand what it meant to slap somebody on the right cheek. It, Jesus isn't talking physically here. So when he says this, the slap on the right cheek was an offense. It was an insult. It wasn't meant to be a physical attack. So what it was is basically a backhand Again, you got to look at it from, again, hitting somebody on the right cheek. And uh, I got messed up early in my life because apparently you have a different left than me. Has anyone ever taught that? So for the longest time, nobody taught me L. So like when everybody's like, oh, you got it, you, you're left. I'm like, oh, you get whatever left you want, man, but this is my left. So if you backhand somebody with your right hand, so again, left hand. So I'm here across the right cheek. What that was was less of a physical attack. It was more of an attack attack. It was an insult. It was a backhand. Most right-handed people would backhand right people. If you go through the Bible, most people are right-handed. But if you look at this, this was meant to be a calculated move. This was meant to be something that was meant to be done in contempt. It wasn't just a smack the person and then they leave. It, It was an insult. So think about this. How would you handle if someone walked up and, again, backhanded you across the face? 
I'm raging, there's not good things, and then I'm going to have to go back to the first week when I talked about anger. But again, if someone walks up to you in contempt and just smacks you with a backhand, like, you're losing it. That's what this was meant to be. It's less about the physical attack. It was meant to be more about the contempt. It was more about to be the calculated move. So kind of that question being asked, if somebody calculated, they purposely go to have any type of contempt for you, they purposely go to insult you, what's your first response? This isn't just someone driving by you and cutting you off. That's not purposeful. The person's just in a rush. They didn't time manage well enough. They didn't turn around and see your car and be like, oh, I'm going to ruin their day. I don't think that the barista, hopefully the barista wouldn't do this because if they did, they would know your order too much and they would know you as a person. Then maybe you've got to look at yourself when you keep going to Starbucks. But I don't think the barista messed up your coffee order on purpose. I don't think your kids turning around and saying, no, I don't need your help is a personal shot. But what do you do when somebody personally and purposely takes a shot at you? Jesus, but I say to you, do not resist the evil one. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and also the other. This is when it starts getting countercultural. When you know somebody, when Jesus isn't just talking about human squabbles or physical protection. If we go back a couple of verses in chapter 5 in Matthew, it says, blessed are, those, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So now we even got to look at it. It's not just coming to smack you because of well, you're just a jerk, or you're not the nicest guy, or you're the boss. The reason why people come and smack you, it's because of your faith. It's because you're living for Jesus. I read in one of my commentaries, it's called a heretical slap. Somebody who sees Jesus in you, and they just don't like you. They have no other reason. They have no reason to insult you. They don't like you because you're following the Lord. Man, does that change some things. So this isn't just somebody cutting you off. This isn't somebody getting your coffee order wrong. We have to look at what is Jesus trying to talk about. This smack is done because the person cannot stand seeing you live for Jesus. And they're going to make it known. They're going to have insults. They're going to have contempt. They're going to come at you. And what does Jesus say? By Jewish law, we could say, well, it's eye for an eye. And if they smack, man, I'll take them to cleaners, man, I'll sue them, I'll bring them in front of people. But Jesus is like, whoa, 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 don't take them to court. Don't take away their money. What I need you to do is I need you to take that. And you need to lovingly absorb the insult. You need to bear the hatred of that person. You need to bear the insult of that person. You have to bear the contempt of that person. You have to overcome this evil by not turning into a flesh ruled person and attacking back. You know what you need to do? You need to forgive this insult. You need to turn around and, uh, yeah, that's not fun. But you got to offer the other cheek. Yeah, we don't like that. You get one. No, that's not what Jesus says. You know how countercultural this is? If someone comes at your walk with God, you take the smack and you continue to love them, pray for them, 
Not only that, you offer the other cheek and let them do it again. But what if they do it again? I'm, I'm sure Jesus was, you just keep doing it. But for us, we run to, but that's not fair. It's eye for an eye. But that's what the law says. But Jesus, but I say to you, we run to, but that's weak. I'm not a fan of letting people be doormats. But I am all for being a doormat for the cause of Christ. Come and insult me. Come and say I'm crazy. Come and say that I'm one of those people. But if it allows me to talk to you about Jesus, I'll be a doormat every day. Now again, am I going to be a doormat and somebody coming into my house? Nope. Am I going to be a doormat when it comes to people insulting my children? No. But if it's for the cause of Christ... If it's for someone to come to know Jesus, and again, keep slapping, do keep insulting, you want to keep arguing, keep coming back because I'm going to preach the gospel every single time. But for us, we live in this world where we're like, that's not fair. We feel it's not fair because law comforts us more than grace. Grace is difficult. When Jesus says, but I say, in the best way we can show Jesus is to show people when we're being insulted, we're being mocked, we're being ridiculed, we're pointing people to Jesus on the cross. But what do we do? We hate this. We refuse to live like this. We, this is where we start finding those loopholes. Yeah, I'll do that, but I'm going to insert when I can. This is why I can get away from this. I've tried to evangelize them, now they're just being mean. I've tried it one more time. I've, I've, I've given two cheeks at three undone. We have to start looking at this by not retaliating. What do we show? We show an other world love. We show an other world crush. We show that chasm that is so different that most of the time that's what people need to see in order to come to know Christ. The church can't just be slightly off from the world. If we respond in the same loving, moralistic way that the world responds, and there's no countercultural, no huge difference, why in the world are they ever going to listen to us about the gospel of Christ? Even when Jesus keeps going, I'm not going to go into the rest of the retaliations, but again, when you get ripped off, you give them like the most inner tunic you have. When you're forced to labor, again, carry this bag, you're going to go the extra mile. When you get somebody who's like, hey, I need some money, you give that to them. None of that is fair. But why do we do it? Because we don't have this legalistic, pharisaical way of an eye for an eye. We're motivated by the grace of Christ. We're motivated by the gospel. How can we say that we are partakers of Jesus' grace and then turn around and say, that's not fair. Grace changes everything. And if we're not willing to take the hit when we're being insulted, again, for being a follower of Christ, it's not, again, someone's trying to break into my house. Oh, here you go, bud. You need help loading up the truck. That's not what Jesus is saying. But we have to make sure that when we're insulted for following Christ, it's not weak to give the cheek. I didn't mean to rhyme that. That actually just came out of the top of my head. Someone tweet that. That was actually really good. But again, it's not weakness. 
Someone's coming over and insulting you for loving or living for Christ. Yeah, okay. You're an idiot. Yeah, okay. For us, so often, we're like, that means I'm weak. The reality is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You want to be able to show the power of Christ? It's okay to be weak. It's okay to say, I need your help. We're not meant to be juggernauts. We're not meant to be the strongest people in the world. We're not meant to be the people who have it all put together. We're meant to be followers of Christ. You can turn around and be like, well, that's not fair. It's not fair if somebody insults me. They're going to get away with it. Again, who cares? In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself. I love the Bible. It's just kind of right there. You, you can't go avenge yourself. There is no deep Greek here. There's no deep hidden meaning here. Paul's not trying to have a loophole here. Just don't avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself. Why? But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance will be mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Yeah, you want to go pay them back? Awesome, sweet, good job. God's better at it than you. Let God be God. Stop trying to take his job away. But they'll get away with it. No, they won't. God loves us too much to let us get away with sin. God will not let any sin go untalked about. He will make sure the wrath is going to be his. But if you run down, though, well, that's not fair. Again, saying fair as a Christian It's not fair that they insult me. It's not fair that I don't have this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How in the world are we going to live a life eye for an eye? How in the world are we as partakers of the grace of Christ, those who that chasm has been completely brought back to where we can walk across it and know God. We know about the precious blood that was spilt by Jesus. We know that he knew no sin. He became sin, so we may be the filthiness, the disgusting, the the, I'm going to end somebody, all of our filthy rags that we might say that we are righteous. And we're going to say that's not fair. It's unfair that somebody insults me. It's unfair that somebody says something. It's unfair that I have a bad day. It's unfair I've been inconvenienced. Jesus Christ died on a cross. How in the world could any Christian ever live a life that is eye for an eye? Because if it was eye for an eye, none of us have the grace of Christ. Your kids don't have that. Your marriages don't have that. We don't live eye for an eye. Because law is not the thing that comforts us. Grace comforts us. For us, when we live in this world, we have to look at this as a church. Because I see very little grace inside of the church. And that's not a shot at you. That's more of a shot at me. Because I sat there reading this this week, and I was actually talking to some people this week. I was like, Jesus is so countercultural. It's so insane what he says. Because the desire to show Jesus, the desire to show the love and grace of Christ, isn't there, especially when you're being insulted. You get smacked. What do you want to do? We want to lash. Maybe that's just me. Or maybe it makes sense to you. Man, we get insulted. I've already said, man, you insult me back, I'll just end the whole game. We insult back. That's not showing grace. That's showing law. We get hated on. 
And we begin to hate people. We hate communities that look at the church and call us names. We begin to despise them. We begin to hate them. We begin to picket them. That's not the church of Christ. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. But they watch CNN. Who cares? What does it matter? They don't like the church. So what? But we as the church, when we get hated on, what do we do? Eye for an eye, we'll respond back. One of the things I've seen, we see a bad post on social media. Man, does the church love jumping on those things. Bunch of keyboard warriors. We got this. We'll tell them why they're wrong. Or you take the hit. You go tell them that you love them. You'd love to have a coffee with them and talk about it. Work some things out. We should not be willing to lash. We should not be willing to take the attack to them. The reality is that is our natural standing, though. That is where we live as sinners. The natural reaction is to do that because, again, you have fallen short of the glory of God. But what should our response be? Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. That's very simple. There's nothing hidden in that. The reality is if you are living for Christ, if the gospel lives here and you're able to actually take it from here and you're actually able to live it out here where you're talking about Jesus, you're praying for people, you're doing crazy things like serving and tithing and inviting people to church, You're doing things like raising your kids to know the Lord. You're doing things like looking at stuff of the world and being like, we're not going that direction. We're going to follow Jesus. You're going to experience evil. The world will come at you. Somebody will disagree with you living for Christ. And let them. It's one of the greatest marks you ever can have about whether you're living for Jesus. Video games taught me this a while ago. When you start running into bad guys, you know you're going the right way. If you're running into people who are like, man, I don't like that, it means you're probably going the right way. But how do you respond? Oh, they're throwing evil at me. Oh, I'm going to throw evil back. I love what Paul says, do not be overcome. He's talking to Christians, meaning, again, you've lost the battle. You're okay throwing evil back. Because, again, throwing evil, insult to insult, throwing sin to sin. How does that change anything? The only way we can change things is adding grace, adding love. For us, that, that's what breaks the cycle. If you want to read the rest, go read Romans 12, because again, it talks about like heaping burning coals on someone's head. But for us today, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love this because this is the mark of a true follower of Christ. Because you're going to run into evil if you're living for good. How do you respond? Well, eye for an eye. They hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. It's not what we're supposed to do. We as followers of Christ have been tasked, commissioned, with something far greater than any type of fairness. We have been commissioned to go tell people who are far from God about His amazing grace. Or do we just want to go tell them all the things that they've done wrong to us? Do we want to tell them about the Jesus 
who came down, lived on this earth, not just for any random reason, but he came because he wanted to seek that was lost, to be able to restore that was broken, to be able to tell people that in him, our righteousness can be found in him and we can have a relationship with him. So one of those things, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, let's make sure that your faith, your hope, your, your mercy is in him. Not in a program, not in a church, not in a preacher, but your righteousness is found in him. Not in what you do, not in the great days that you have, but it's found in him. But for those of you who are like, man, I'm found in him, man. When I see the cross, man, I see the debt of my sin. I see the amazing grace that came from the Son of God. For us, then it's time to start showing him in every aspect of life. It's really easy to show Jesus when things are going well. But I want to challenge you. Can you show Jesus when things aren't going well? Because us as a church, we're called to make sure that we show Jesus 24-7, 365 even in the most crazy ways, we're called to show him.